You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Last week we didn't meet because we, um, rather than gather together on a Sunday morning, we ploughed all of our resources into hosting a firework event. And um, honestly, my understanding is there were 1,523 people there, less under twos and less team. Um, honestly, it was phenomenal. The, the vision for this church has always been so simple that we would love Jesus and we'd love Manchester. Part of the wording that we've used around that is that we want to live on a mission to serve to love and to call into the fullness of life, the people of Manchester. Simply put, we want to build a community that will live the way that Jesus did, seeking to shape the culture of Manchester one life at a time. Can I just say a huge thank you to you? Thank you for being a church that has a heart for others, that loves and prioritises others before meeting our own needs. Thank you to everybody that made it possible. I don't think in my life I've ever seen fireworks like those final 20 seconds. Um, I I heard so many people just personally saying that once they got inside, they could not believe everything was free. They just couldn't get their heads around it. And also that we're a church that were hosting it. What what an amazing opportunity. We could have flyed the whole of that area or we could host an event that you could do so, so well. You know, predominantly people know what the church is against. But to have an opportunity to show people, hey, this is what the church is for. You know, we're for, we're for community. We're for you. I just wanted to share a few things about it because this, this lady emailed me. And she said this, I just want to say to all of you, thank you for such a brilliant fireworks last night. The team was so welcoming, the games and the prizes so brilliantly fought out. The firework display was fantastic, so refreshing to not feel broken, exhausted after a family event. Thank you to all who made it possible, Rachel, Emily 8 and Zoe 4. Our neighbours texted us and said um, the fireworks last night were unbelievable. We had such a warm community feel. My boys loved the activities, especially the coconut shine, the Nerf gun challenge. Good work there. Um, We really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I couldn't not take the opportunity just to say thank you. Thank you for loving and serving people and creating environments and opportunities for people in this city to see the community that we're becoming and let that leak out for us to creatively find ways to share Jesus thank you for hosting an event that actually many of you missed out on going to the event because you were giving your time to serve it honestly Jesus came to serve not to be served and I love your hearts and attitudes and commitment to others one of um One of the kids in Vineyard Kids asked to come and help set up. And uh, don't you love that in itself? And one of the parents emailed me and said this. He very much sees it as his church and he's part of the team that makes it happen. We were at the National Railway Museum at York on Saturday and he was helping one of the science demonstrators pack down her kit after a show. And he was telling her that his church teaches him to be kind and to be helpful. Don't you love that? He said he very much sees it as his church and he's part of the team that makes it happen. That, honestly, is a wonderful thing. I mean, come on, isn't that great? (laughs) I recently um, 
started a series called Kingdom First. And Matthew 6, verse 33 says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And this this is a series. I want to encourage you, if you've missed parts of it, watch it online, catch the podcast. I think it will make more sense if you link them together. We're on a journey. This isn't a standalone one-off event. But within that series, I've done a mini-series specifically focusing on relationships. What does it mean to have kingdom-first relationships? And last time we met, maybe slightly barking mad, I said that was going to be the last one unless the Lord speaks otherwise. Well, I think he has. So we're just going to do one more, possibly. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say it's the last one. Um, We've got a guest speaker next week, actually, so it definitely won't be next week. But I feel like we haven't landed And I was wrestling with that and I couldn't work out why. We've looked at all sorts of things, dating, singleness, marriage, online dating, pornography, all sorts of things. But I felt like we're just missing something crucial that ties it together. And um, I'll explain what that is in, in a minute. But my daughter loves parties. Okay, she's in that age where parties are just where she's at and she's also she's at an age where whenever anybody in her class at school has a birthday party they all get invited it's almost regardless whether they know each other well or not so it's, it's chewing into our Saturdays in a fairly big way and um, there's this children's entertainer in our local area if you haven't met him you, well I'd I'm not going to comment on that, but he's, he's called Spiky Mike, right? Basically, every, there we go. Some people have been around Spiky Mike. Basically, every party is the same guy, and you know what you're getting. So somehow recently, uh, two of them now, actually, he's done this thing where um, the parents have had a dance-off, but I didn't see that coming. It was like, oh, no, I'm the parent. Um, but I need you to know I won it. And uh, I know, that's got nothing to do with the story, but I couldn't miss the opportunity just to let you know that I've still got it. But anyway, um, we had this, we had, oh gosh, where are we going? So we had this party coming up last week, and she loves parties. Um, So we're chatting on the Monday whilst I'm dropping her off at school with a build-up with it coming this last weekend. And she said something I just did not see coming. She said, Daddy, I don't want to go. I'm like, whoa, hang on. I try not to externalise it, but I'm like, whoa, what do you mean you don't want to go? You love parties. You love dressing up, the party games. You love seeing your friends. Why don't you want to go? Because it's a boys' party. You know, honestly, I was so proud. I was like, <laughs> I have taught you well. Um, stay away from the boys, my precious child. Um, I'm vetting any interaction even at this young age, but... I was nearly as proud when she said, Daddy, I love Jesus, you and bacon. I'm like, <laughs> in that order. But anyway, we're, we're getting there. But anyway, it's a, I said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a boys' party. It's still going to be fun. Obviously, like dialing down the slightly overprotective, it's a boys' party thing. Anyway, she says, yeah, but the party bags, <laughs> they're going to be full of dinosaurs and monsters rather than sweets and unicorns. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, isn't it amazing how we can want our own needs and we can want our own wants and that dictates how we act and how we respond to others. Today, I want to look at kingdom relationships, specifically looking at what does it mean to be family? You know, what does it mean to have an awareness of others a love for others even when it doesn't naturally fit or meet our needs and um 
If I told you, you might find elements of this talk fairly intense, but I've warned you that it might be intense. Does that help? But probably not. But, you know, like any other talk in this series, I think we need to go there at times. And I'm going to try and do that as softly and as gently as I can. But I've, I've warned you, so hopefully that will help. But let's just have a look at a couple of passages that I want to frame this around. The first one is Romans 12, verse 4. It, it says this. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure in yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. You know, this passage flows on the back of one of those that I included in the talk when I spoke about pornography. The few verses before that talk about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Even your thoughts must be submitted. Every thought must be taken captive and submitted to him. Spirit-empowered believers capture every thought and yield it to Christ. We need to renew our thinking of what it means to be family together, to be kingdom family. We, we can't just be absorbed in what it is to be earthly family or to let our experience of earthly family, whether that has been good or, or less so, to be the one that dictates our understanding of what family is. We, we need to have a kingdom perspective on what it means to be a church family. Before we fully dig into things, let me just also read from Ephesians 2. And uh, verse 19, it says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord through him. You Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Before I fully launch in, let's just have a quick look at the context of that passage. Jesus brought a way to end the division between the Jews and the Gentiles that was caused by the Jewish laws that favoured the Jews and excluded the Gentiles. Jesus died to abolish that whole system of Jewish laws. He took the he stopped the two groups who were banging their heads against each other and he made them part of himself. He declares them therefore a new people. He made a single entity out of the two groups or at least he created the possibility for that to happen. In Jesus he's fusing together all believers. Previously, the Jews were seen as near to God because they already knew of him through the scriptures and they worshipped him in their religious ceremonies. The Gentiles were far from him because it was seen that they knew little or nothing about God. But neither of them could save themselves through their good deeds or knowledge or anything else. Both of them needed to hear about the salvation that was available through Jesus. Both both the Jews and the Gentiles were then free to come to God through Jesus. That's, that's kind of what's going on, just in a nutshell. But let's, let's look at this and how it could broadly apply to us as being a family. 
the first thing I really want to say is you are not a stranger. I, I, I want to say that, and I think for some of you, that actually probably needs to go fairly deep to realize what I'm actually saying. For, for you to heal, you need to know that you belong here. You know, how you view something changes how you engage with it. My daughter didn't want to go to the party because the party bag wasn't going to be what she wanted it to be. Whether or not that is a healthy perspective is beside the point. But the process of her landing at that point caused her to want to miss the whole party. You know, your your view of church and of us being a family is going to keep you bumping into obstacles and points of pain if you see yourself as a stranger, if, if, if you see yourself as somebody who's on the edge. Now, there could be many reasons why that might happen. I, I think I might be able to guess some of them, potentially because you've either been hurt or because you're protecting yourself from hurt. What, what, what is it that would cause you to pull up the drawbridge and protect yourself as an isolated entity, or what is it that would cause you to bump into others with the pain that is flowing out of you? Because hurt people hurt people. If you're hurting, that hurt is going to have an impact on those around you. Now, my biological family broke down when I was very young. Growing up, that left me with a right load of pain. So when I came to find Jesus and then suddenly found myself involved in this whole church thing, I had loads of pain and hurt and chips on my shoulder. Whether I knew it or not, and whether I acknowledged it or not, it was there. And unless I dealt with it, that was going to crash into anyone and everyone whenever they came to be anywhere near stepping on some of my exposed wounds. What often happens, I think, is we try and reject others before they reject us because it's easier and it's less painful. Well, I, I kind of want to say this morning, you are no longer a stranger. Now we need to learn to no longer live like a stranger. I, I think there's a difference. Just because you're no longer a stranger doesn't mean we've actually learned to no longer live like one. I used to live in hurt, so I kept hurting others. And as I got healed up, I'd just visit the place of pain. And now, honestly, I'd say I barely even go there. But I do need to be on my guard. There are certain times and certain situations where life or family or circumstances or relationships would uncover layers in me where I need to hold a mirror up pretty quickly. Otherwise, bad behavior starts to spill out. So over the last few months in fact for 45 days i had i've had this tooth pain i don't know who i haven't told about that but um welcome aboard if you've missed out you know they they tried to take one of my wisdom teeth out and they couldn't get it out and i'm not going to go anywhere near the details because most of you know it but excuse the the link but it's bled into everything you know it's affected my sleep it's affected my ability to concentrate, to talk, to move about. I realized I was allergic to two of the five courses of antibiotics, which left me in an incredibly confused state for at least two of the weeks. Underlying pain in our lives affects who we are, and it affects how we act, and it affects how we respond to others. I've made a commitment. I always want to speak from a heart. 
you, you need to know that that's the movement we're in that's part of our identity of been in the vineyard we're relational people we we want to find out what the book says and then we want to go on and get on and do it you you aren't people who need to necessarily know you may want to know but you don't need to know the greek word for life raft when you need a life raft you just want the life raft you know we're always going to try and keep this as simple as we possibly can but this isn't this morning about having a load of theory this is about trying to actually find ways to live out what it is to be family. For us to be family, I think there's a few things that we need to do. We need to deal with our hurt. We need to learn to be vulnerable, to get some of the chips off our shoulders that would allow us in the first place to love others, but would actually allow others to love us. And also, we need to realize that other people get it wrong. You know, other people will hurt you because they're human so what sort of things am i talking about what causes some of these hurts well pain of a broken relationship and upbringing grief or loss disappointments missed hopes and dreams health challenges doubts and insecurities pain of neglect in fact we could just go on and on and on and on with with some of those things i, I want to say find your pain and stick them before Jesus and let him heal you. Because we are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. So if the first thing is you're no longer a stranger, the, the second thing is you are a citizen. You know, you are a part of God's family. Just because that is a banner over you doesn't mean that actually it's a lived out reality. I think that takes time. When I was um, in the fire service, we used to always talk about microwave firefighters. You'd get people who would walk in day one and they'd think that they're competent enough to handle some of the big stuff. And um, honestly, it just didn't work like that. After seven or so interviews to get in in the first place, you go through 18 weeks of intense training day and night. Daytime was hard physical training, nighttime in the classroom. And at the end of the day, when you were exhausted, you'd stay up half the night revising for weekly exams. If you didn't pass the weekly exam, you wouldn't be coming back the following week. Once you'd passed all of that, you'd do four years on the job training, including monthly written exams. Again, if you didn't pass it, you were gone. No messing about. It was full on. In our discipleship, this is a journey. You know, this takes time to come to the realization and actually to start to live it out that we're citizens, not just citizens, but we're citizens, it says, along with others. You know, in the age of individualism, that flies in stark contrast to that. It's the absolute polar opposite of it. Let me just tell you a little bit about how that's looked for me I'm, I'm not trying to in any way make this about me but I, I want to help some of you discover how that might look for you so I walked into church as a 19 year old an absolute bag of hurt whether I acknowledged it or not there was this guy actually some of you may know some of these people I think that's all right but um there was this guy Jack and um he was like he was like a big guy um, there's very few people where I actually look up to them, but he was one of those guys. And he'd worship Jesus through that whole time that we've just had like this. Literally didn't move from that posture. He was American. He had a baseball cap. 
was a blue baseball gap. It, these like might not seem like crucial details, but I guess what I want to say is he made a lasting impression on me. And so at the end, we'd always have these ministry times, kind of like we do here, and I'd go forward for prayer. And um, I did it every week because I'd seen enough of Jesus to know that I was desperate for more of Jesus and people would pray for me. And Jack was one of them. And obviously he prayed in an American voice, which always just makes it sound slightly more profound. And uh, he had this tiny little Bible. I'm never sure why, but he had to hold it right up close to his eye because it was so small. And he'd pray over me and he'd speak truth and he'd encourage me. And it happened regularly for years. He wouldn't pray for me every week, but quite often he did. And I'd go home and I'd end up writing down many of the things that he said because many of the words and the phrases that he used, I was just drinking the truth of Jesus that was flowing through him. And sometimes when I invited it, he lovingly challenged me. Sometimes when I didn't invite it, he challenged me. And did he get that wrong? Was that a bit overbearing? I don't know. He's human, so am I. His heart was right. On reflection, I'd say a couple of times, he was absolutely bang on whether I'd acknowledge it or not. So that's that's Jack. Then there's this guy, Gary. He was actually happened to be a big guy at all, but he was a lot softer in his approach. There was such a tenderness about this guy. He prayed for me, but he was always so encouraging, such a champion of me. He always seemed to have time for me. Even when the stuff that I talked to him about seemed to be of no interest to his natural interests. He was always interested. Jack honestly wouldn't have been like that, but Gary was. And occasionally with with um, with Gary, we'd, we'd meet up and um, he'd often say to me, can I pray for you? I really believe in you. Can I pray for you? And sometimes we'd, we'd pray. Other times he'd pray and maybe I'd cry. And sometimes he'd pray and I'd share some of the stuff going on in my life and that I was becoming aware of and he'd pray into it and we'd chat about it. Sometimes we'd just chat, you know, sometimes actually we'd just watch the football and I've come to realize with hindsight, I don't think he even liked football, but he watched the football because he was pouring into me and he was pouring into my relationship with Jesus. And at that stage, I think he knew that was probably all I needed or could even handle. I don't think, looking back, I offered him anything. I, I mean, I offered him like a can of Coke and a bacon cob, but relationally, I don't think I offered the guy anything. Then I just want to tell you about one more couple. There was a couple called Phil and Debbie. They'd been married for years. Phil, highly relational, really caring guy. Not that Debbie wasn't, but she was very, very prophetic and had an ability right to cut to the heart of stuff. And I remember a few times them praying for me and the love and the warmth and the wisdom just caused me to melt in the presence of God and reveal all sorts of hurts and pains. And it wasn't always like that, you know, just tears and snot on the floor. But sometimes it was just quiet. You know, nobody would even notice. We'd just chat. They were just always so kind to me. Every Sunday, it was almost like they'd find me out just to be kind to me and interested in what I was doing in my life and actually I found Phil and Gary incredibly helpful I I needed healing I didn't respond well to older guys at that stage of my life my dad had always been so aggressive I found relating to guys really complex and I'd just run a mile but I think the fact that they were so kind there was never a hint of aggression or frustration in their personalities over time I just learned to trust them and it provided an environment to heal and um I spent a year or so, I think, in, in a small group that Gary led. 
he wants us me to lead it i remember him just as i said earlier so affirming and positive and encouraging and he helped me to understand the group dynamics and to draw others out and how they might contribute and how we might engage other people i can't remember what i led it on but i remember whilst he was so encouraging i look back and Honestly, it was a disaster. I, I really had no idea what I was doing. And I'm forever grateful that he believed in me and invested in me. But I had all these bits of paper and unconnected thoughts in what I was doing. It was it was awful. And um, none of these guys were people that I hung out with every day. Phil and Debbie weren't people I'd hang out with day to day. They were people ahead of me who spoke truth and wisdom into my life, predominantly actually in the Sunday environment apart from the fact that I was in, in Gary's small group. None of them were my peers. I remember I once phoned Phil and Debbie and I had a job interview the next day and the iron that I was using had leaked on the shirt and I'd got this brown stain. I was dashing to buy another shirt and kind of borrow your iron. And they happened to be the only people I could think of in that day that, that would be in. You know, with all of these guys, I'm going back, this is like 2001, maybe 2002. Now, I know most of you, you're thinking, Paul, like, what? What are you getting on about? What's this random rambling? Do you have a point in where you're going? It's starting to sound like the small group I led with Gary. It was like, what are you doing? If only that was that good. But here's, here's where I'm going. You are citizens along with all of God's people. Along with. Along with. I needed my church family to help me to help me heal, to restore me, to reveal more of Jesus to me, allowing him through the power of the Holy Spirit to help put me back together. Some days just the daily rhythm of life, nothing necessarily special. Sometimes just people I could phone up and say, can I borrow your iron? In a culture of individualism and one that so often lacks commitment to face-to-face -to -face contact, we need to realise we're created to be family, to walk stuff out with each other to be real to be vulnerable you don't you don't need to be a stranger to this in fact i want to say actually the responsibility for this being a reality really depends on you as it does as much on anyone else i think i had to do two things and i still have to do two things firstly lean in you know when life hurts and scars you lean in Pain can cause you to lean out, but I think the kingdom teaches us to lean in. We're not meant to be strangers to Jesus and to being restored in the love of his families. We are citizens, but it's along with, along with God's holy people, as the passage puts it. Romans 12 says we're parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Jesus draws us and calls us together as a family to live out kingdom purpose and vision of being a family together and to be healed as we do the stuff that he's asked us to do so firstly i'd say lean in secondly i'd say find spaces and places to be real and vulnerable you know on day one if i'd have rocked up in that church and you'd have asked me to be vulnerable with my emotions and hurts and pains no chance I, I, I didn't trust people. I didn't even think I had hurts and pains. And even if I did, I'd rather keep them to myself and keep them locked in. I've, I've come a long way. I think a vision for being family is often found in understanding weakness and being willing to share vulnerability. Let people in. 
journey alongside others at that age and stage if I'd I'd have gone into my shell I'd have put on a false Sunday front for want of a better word you, you can retreat or you can lean in you are not a stranger you are a citizen third thing you are members of God's family that's what the passage says you are members of God's family we need to learn I think to be that we're what are we? we're not a business we're not an organization we are we are a charity but that's partly because we need to meet the regulations and the structures of the land ultimately we're a family you know whether you've had a good or painful experience of that we need to relearn what it is to be kingdom family jesus is trying to grow and mature you that's what a family does together they seek to grow and to mature you we need mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and grandparents in the same way i i would say i wish in my early teens somebody had told me about the jesus that i know now i want to tell you about the way of being family that i know now if some of you have missed it i've been on the receiving end of being part of the family of the church the family that's loved me and believed in me cheered me on through the highs and lows the joys and sorrows i'd say it's taken commitment and perseverance my earthly family is very painful yeah of course there's good things but equally there's a lot of pain i can't think of my dad ever giving me anything he never gave me anything the only thing i can actually think of is he gave me a half smoked cigarette i had no idea why he did that my my dad before his life went badly wrong as if it hadn't gone wrong anyway but before it went badly wrong he was a car mechanic and I when I started to drive he used to kill me to go and pay to get my car fixed because my dad didn't have time for me and every time it was just a reminder of the the gap he left and the loss that I grieved, you know. Honestly, I don't share any of that for you to feel sorry for me. I, I actually, I don't feel sorry for myself. I, I'm healed, I'm freed, I'm restored. The enemy robs me of nothing. In fact, as many of you know, I led my dad to Jesus the week before he died. I don't, I don't tell you any of that to burden you. I tell you because I hope my willingness to be vulnerable is helpful to you and points you to Jesus as the person and the place of healing and it helps you see that we're supposed to be family my point in telling you all of that is to say that God places us in family the family of the church is it perfect you don't need me to tell you that it isn't do we get it wrong yeah we get it wrong surely we'd all admit we get it wrong Will we say silly things to each other? Yeah, at times our pain will spill out and bump into each other. But ultimately, we're called to be, in, to be family. And in the process, as the passage says, we're being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I have a hope because this isn't our idea. This is his idea. This is where he lives and he dwells among us i want to say don't sit on the edge of all that he has for you sitting in the shell or the isolation or the individualism it's not what we're called to be so what what could it look like what should it look like you know the the danger i think is we try and structure some of this ultimately you can't really structure the presence of god 
like I said, we're not a business or an organisation. We're an organism and we're a family. We're an expression of the local church within the context of the vineyard movement. One one way I, I would say we've always tried to help communities relationally form is around small groups. Again, I don't think it's our idea. I don't think it's anything new. We, we read the, the New Testament, but I know I know some of you can't make them. I know some of you find them quite difficult. I know for others it just doesn't work out particularly easily. You, I get that. And by saying this, I'm not in any way trying to make any of you feel guilty or that there's not a space for you if you can't actually make one. I'd, what I would say to you if you find yourself there is I want to say and encourage you to fight for relationship. Fight for the environment and the place to be known and to know others. Overall, though, I would say we've got to we've got to start somewhere. We wouldn't grow much beyond 10 people if we tried to know everyone well. In fact, you, you can't know everyone well in that way. We need to find our relationships in smaller groups and smaller settings and know others and actually really be known. Places where you can be real and to be vulnerable, even within a small group. You're not going to do that every week. Often it's just the springboard for relationship in in other settings also i'd say i don't think location matters you know in the early days people in the vineyard they used to drive from the midlands to london to be in a small group i think the key is it's a commitment to people i love hearing stories of some of you guys doing things like that you're finding ways to commit to each other i want to say commit to people i know that's hard so much we could say about it, even in cities, how it's affecting cultures, even within churches. But maybe I'll just leave it at, honestly, commit to people. I'm, I'm not going to force you to do that. Of course I'm not. I just want to show you why you might commit to people. I'm not saying it's always easy. I think relationships have their ups and downs. And at times, as I said earlier, we bump into each other with with our stuff. Here's just a few thoughts that might help you because we have to learn to be family to others i think it's often as we give it that we actually find we're in it you've got to give it to find that you're in it step out and give it away give away the family that he embeds within us you know give give a day a month to somebody else does that seem a big ask maybe just give an evening to somebody else for their benefit give a meal invite to somebody outside of your natural group give a meal invite to somebody and don't be offended if they don't accept it give give one to somebody that couldn't give one back to you come here once a month and just plan to have lunch with somebody to invite somebody over for lunch afterwards find a way maybe once a fortnight just to bless somebody a simple way to bless somebody text somebody once a week just to encourage them just a few rapid things off the top of my head but we're, we're a family who would you call if your washing machine breaks down if you're ill, if you lock yourself out of the house. You know, the other week we had a week off and we came home to some flowers through our letterbox, not just rammed through. I think you get these special like letterbox. Whoever came up with that is like they're on one. But um, anyway, there's a little card that said, we're, we're glad you're back. We hope you had a good break. I have no idea who sent that. I dare say it's one of you and I'm going to look around and see who gets embarrassed. But there's no place I'd rather be than in a church family. Even this morning and worship us, there is no place I'd rather be than alongside the rest of you. 
whilst none of us can know everyone, I think we form around smaller groups to love and to serve and to care for each other. John 13, 34 says, love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Romans 12, 10, love each other with genuine affection and take great delight in honouring each other. 1 Thessalonians 3:12. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. 1 Peter 4:9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or place to stay. Ephesians 4:32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. Literally, I could go on and on and on. It's not. It's not just a good idea. It's in the book. You know, it's what he told us to do. Final thought, and I'll I'll finish with this. You know, this stuff takes time. We're one of the challenges I think we face as a as a new church plant is we're just kind of bundled into a room and there's a lot of coming and going. And this stuff actually takes time. It grows, but it takes time. Shared experience, I think, is really important. It forms bonds and it allows us to generate unity. I'm not, I'm not saying we become a clique where others aren't welcomed in. Just more that shared experience is really important and that takes time. One of the best ways to build up shared experience is to share experience together. But you didn't see that coming, did you? But we, we, we need to find ways to do that. You know, to have barbecues together, to spend time with someone, to invite someone to go on a walk with you. Whatever you're doing, just invite other people to do it alongside you if they want to. I'd say one great one that we're about to do is Cause to Live For. It's kind of all of it, a part of that. Who do you stay with? How do you get there? Where do you stop to grab food on the way? You know, if if you feel on the edge and don't know many people, one of the best ways to counteract that is don't be a stranger. Choose to be a citizen. I'd, I'd say generally you're in until you count yourself out. There's no loop or click or in crowd. With course to live for, just come and throw yourself in. Get to know people. If, if you feel like I've bolted that on the end of my talk and it's hard sell, it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sell cars. I'm trying to create opportunities to fan the flame of your relationship with Jesus and the community, the family that I believe will strengthen that and invest in that. It's not the only environment. It's one of the many. But if you'd see yourself on the edge, I want to con- encourage you to join in and encourage you to see yourself as part of building relationship and family and community with others. For some of you, actually, I want to go a step further and say, bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Somebody did that for me. That's how I came to know him in the first place. Somebody invited me to something like that up here in Manchester. A load of people last year gave their lives to Jesus as a result of other people asking them, who will you invite to give them a chance to know him the way that maybe you do? That's kind of what we do. We find ourselves in family and then we just hand it on to somebody else and say, do you want to be part of this phenomenal family? Why don't we stand together?
Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.